right, they're playing my song, and that means it's a uh, welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. I'm your host, Patrick Egan, and as we always do at this time, we uh, welcome our co-host, Mr. Gene Robinson. Hi, Gene. Good morning, Mr. Egan. How are you on this uh, fine, sunny Texas morning in uh, in Texas? (laughs) Well, driving and talking at the same time. Well, don't start chewing gum because then it's going to get nice. It's raining out here in California, and uh, well, Northern California anyway, and that's good. We need we need the water, and then hopefully this will finally put the uh, Caldor fire uh, out. You know, because it's been a uh, been, been fighting that one for a long time. Yeah, you've uh, you guys are in your fourth season. I, you know, you have mud, flood, fire, and earthquake. So uh, you know, you're in the the third season, I guess. Yeah, well, you know, it's nice to live somewhere where we have all four seasons. That's how I look at it. You know, still uh, still wanting to get out into the forest. I have it closed. I've been doing a lot of a uh, lot of machinery heading out there. Uh, taking down trees and, you know, PG&E is clearing out along their power lines and uh, the denuding it of uh, trees and vegetation, whatever else. So lots going on out there. Can't wait to get back out there. Um, but, you know, right now it's still closed. So it's kind of a drag. But um, so there's, there's lots going on in uh, the news. But before we get into that, I know you have some personal good news and things that you've been working on. Did you, you want to tell us about it? Yeah, you know, uh, I kind of intimated earlier that, uh, you know, I was going to start the teaching gig out there at Austin Community College Public Safety Training Center. And, and uh, man, the, the program is, is really starting to thrive and uh, getting a good crop of folks coming through, both public safety and people who are wanting to be commercial operators and yeah, the, the Public Safety Training Center, if you haven't looked at it, you can look it up. It's pretty easy. It's Austin Community College, PSTC, uh, really provides a lot of legitimacy because it's it's purpose-made for what we're doing. So, uh, oh, yeah, there's there's that. Well, and then, of course, we're continuing both, our research. Both ways. Go ahead. Like I said, I think it kind of goes both ways. You know, uh, I've known you for a long time. You got your act together. You know. You know, and, and I appreciate that, Patrick, uh, because we're trying to make it the best we can. And, and I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be the, think that I'm the be-all, end-all. However, they've, uh, they've embraced all of my suggestions, and uh, the curriculum is really modeled around the, the way the FAA taught us to fly real airplanes. And I I think it's worked quite well, and I think my students appreciate it, and the, the faculty appreciates the fact that we've kind of got a standard to work with. And, uh, you know, it, it works. I mean, we've tweaked it, you know, here and there for, for drones, obviously. But, uh, man, um, I, I get uh, – we do evals all the time, you know, get uh, criticism from our students and stuff like that. And, uh, gosh – uh, very, I don't think we've had any negative comments so far, and uh, we're in the uh, we're going into our seventh week of the eighth week eight week course. So I'm pretty pleased. 
Well, I do know, uh, you know, you're, you're one of those guys that's uh, passionate about the technology and the application. And, you know, that's, I, I think uh, when, when you, let's say, roll that into your curriculum or roll that into your teaching style, um, you know, it shows and uh, people respond to it. Um, I, you know, my, my personal experience teaching, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing the SAR thing, but, uh, you know, more of, of trying to use uh, drones for uh, television and movie production, but you know, I'm I'm trying to, I want to make sure people get, uh, you know, the safety part of it, and you know how to apply this, and you know, in my case, I want you to be able to get a job and move out of your parents' basement, both for you know, students' mental health and the parents' mental health. <laughs> But, uh, you know, yeah, I want to make sure that people are getting the, the most out of the time that we're spending together. I know that's, uh, you know, what you're into. you got years in the field. You wrote the book. Um, and that book has been, uh, you know, read through by probably everyone in the industry. I, would, I, I, I wouldn't doubt that because um, that was all stuff learned in the field. And that's one thing yeah, I like. And, and you know, I've, I've kind of got a fatal flaw. I'm still trying to – work it out of my teaching deal, but uh, as we get to go and, and we talk about things, the student will ask a question, and I, I'm always, let me tell you a story about that, because there was this time, so I have a keeper now that uh, she stays there, my assistant in the class, and, and if I start going long, I have to look at her, and she taps her watch, and she'll be, you know, keep it moving, keep it good. I, uh, I generally have a story for just about every question that they come up with. Yeah, but those stories, you know, the real world stories are examples of how, you know, it really works. And there is nothing, um, there's nothing that can substitute empirical experience. And I do that too. There's, I, I tell stories all the time. And uh, sometimes <laughs> you think, well, you know, who wants to hear this stuff? But hopefully at, at the end of it, it's like, hopefully you remember this story and it saves you time or it inspires you to think differently or whatever. So that's all good. And uh, they're, they're, those students are uh, lucky to have you as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, well, I appreciate that. that. And I, I hope so. Well, you know, well, I, I'm sure it'll be good. You'll have to update as, as, as that goes on. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, uh, the other things in the news, uh, you know, at SUSD is we had a whistleblower, um, talk about some of the issues with the RID um, meetings and art and whatever else, and some of the intrigues and backroom deals, and, and everyone loves to ex parte. Um, and it would appear to me from my FOIA request and whatever else that the, the FAA is trying to cover up, um, you know, what really transpired in these meetings. Supposedly, you know, we had uh, advocates and experts from the drone community in there, um, but really what I see are people trying to feather their own nest uh, instead of telling the FAA, hey, look, you take your uh, – I don't, I don't think you really thought this out. There, there were issues, you know, there were from, from other people that I heard. There were issues yeah. with, um, you know – the cell phone companies kind of pushed back on, on giving locations. This isn't really about locating the drone. It's about locating the person, locating the person at their home. Uh, you know, you, you, you have 
the Constitution, Fourth Amendment. There's there's some other, and I'm not a lawyer, uh, but there's some some other checks and balances in place that you, you kind of have a right to privacy. So anybody flying a, a drone is going to automatically kind of be uh, viewed as suspect, and you know someone could come and get you. And I think we've all dealt with this before with law enforcement. Uh, I mean, I know I have dealt with it before where you deal with the, the guys that are wearing the guns and they roll up on you and they t- start to tell you uh, what what the rules are, the laws are, and they're wrong. And, I mean, I've seen the uh, PowerPoint. I have it somewhere, and I should dig it up and, and post it. But it's uh, information that FAA gave to law enforcement. It's like a two-slide uh, presentation, PowerPoint presentation. And I think that, you know, a lot of it gets missed. I don't think you can – put all of 107 into to two slide uh, PowerPoint and have someone, let's say fully versed on the law plus my other constitutional yeah. rights. So we got that. It's worth reading. You can kind of see, uh, you know, what happened there. We, we have a reoccurring, there's this Jennifer uh, Ambrose and I, and I want to say it's Casey Mayer. I'm not positive on the second person, but you know, I, I've been trying to FOIA, uh, Hey, what's going on here? They redact, you know, who's at the meetings, who signed off on the work, which I think is peculiar that they're saying they want privacy for these people that are in the public employ, that are working on promulgating rules, uh, that are basically going to stomp all over people's privacy rights, and they want privacy? I mean, it, it's it's insane. I don't get it. But the other deal is, it's kind of funny, is as you look at who authored the, the PDFs, you know, and Jennifer Ambrose, you know, um, shows up. So, I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe uh, I'm missing my calling, you know, maybe I should, you know, become like a private dick or something, you know, gumshoe and, uh, <laughs> you know, Magnum PI or something. I, I don't know, but it, it, that, that really bugs me. And it bugs me that, you know, people are talking about uh, how, how they, they're doing the work for, for the uh, citizens and all the rest of that. I don't really believe that. And I also, I know you're a full-size guy, but the other thing that's really uh, irking me is the uh, GA safety numbers, one. And two, uh, did you see the, the, the new deal, the uh, AOPA got Congress to uh, change the law about the commercial definition for uh, instructing on LSA? Yes. Okay, so, yes, you know, they, they shut us down, F, or uh, AOPA was yelling and screaming and Oh my God, this is commercial. And the FAA said, well, $1 exchanges hands. It's commercial. Or somebody buys you a hamburger or you get football tickets or, you know, they give you a rabbit or, you know, whatever, then that's commercial operations. And you've got to have, uh, you know, the, you were, we're concerned about the equivalent level of safety. You got to have all these checks and balances, blah, blah, blah. APA, you know, and the LSA thing, they got away with it for, you know, like almost 10 years. Nobody got shut down, even though it's unsafe and those things crash and all the rest of that. And, um, you know, I almost think that there has to be some sort of uh, regulatory amends made um, for for that. I mean, that, that's, you know, apples and oranges uh, treatment, you know, or arbitrary and capricious treatment of, of two different segments of aviation. And it really put the brake on the wheel for us. Uh, I don't think that's good. The other thing is I still see the advocates and experts, you know, crowing about, oh, you know, we, we've got to, they're, they're like, you know, uh, 
double digit beyond visual line of sight waivers. You know, you're, you are not going to scale an industry with standards, uh, research, certification, UTM build out, and, and all the rest of this stuff, man, on, on a few arbitrary and capricious waivers that, uh, for the most part, have uh, regulatory problems cut and pasted into them. You agree or disagree with that? Well, there, there's a lot to unpack there, as you say, but uh, and, and I've got to, and here I go going back into history again. You know, when we were doing the search and rescue stuff, when you talk about RAD and people knowing where you are, where you're flying, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, back in the day, nobody knew that uh, you could be tracked by your cell phone, and I can remember very distinctly having to call Washington D.C. to get a warrant to get cell phone information because they didn't want people to know that they could be tracked. And of course now with CSI and everybody coming out going, Oh yeah, this you know, scanning their cell phone and all that BS that they do. Um, it's, it's kind of come to the point where if you pick up that device and you consent to use it, then you also tacitly consent to having your ID, your position, your location, your speed, all of that stuff reported somewhere somehow now everybody has kind of gotten over that you know it used to be a privacy thing oh my god you know you can't you can't do all that with a cell phone that's just wrong well they do it every day the nsa has been in my phone for the last 10 years so i deal with it our id is going to be the same way they're going to be putting up all sorts of uh flack about oh you know and i agree with this right now if your position is known and john q public can look on a website and see that you're flying on the corner of first and elm they're going to jump in their cars run down there and tell you how you're violating their privacy and you've got to cease and desist or we're going to beat your butt that's going to happen i mean it's already happened right so there's that issue all by itself and then of course we get to the point where faa and and that agency they regulate by, as you and I both know, interpretation. They get to yeah. interpret the code the way they see, and it's all in the name of safety, right? Yeah, but it's arbitrary as it changes. Well, uh, and interpretation is always arbitrary, Patrick. Right. Well, and it changes depending upon uh, management's exactly. perspective, exactly. and it changes <clears throat> with different uh, bureaucrats that get in there. And, uh, you know, so that that, that is an issue uh, for us. But, you know, I, I was thinking about this yeah. the other day. You know, there, there's been a lot of technology and the pioneers and, and all the rest of that. People, oh, you know, they were too early. They, were, they weren't early because the Chinese, I believe the Chinese proved that. The, the pioneers in this industry, like yourself and other people that were manufacturing and distributing drugs, weren't early. Uh, it's just that the FAA never showed up, you know, and I think that's a, a total disservice. And, you know, I used to complain about this and say it's a national security issue. It's going to develop into a national security issue and people would chuckle and guffaw under their breath or whatever. But I mean, every day now, you know, Syria, Iran, um, you know, other actors uh, around the world now, and, and you would basically call them, they're not even really, some of them aren't even state actors, are using this technology 
uh, for, you know, let's say offensive capabilities. So, you know, are they going to use RID? Is it going to matter? Are they going to spoof it? You know, yada, yada. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of open-ended questions on that, but anyway, I'll let you close on that. Any closing comments on that? Well, again, like you say, no matter what the technology is, somebody is going to figure out how to defeat it or to utilize it for nefarious deeds. That's been the way of the world. And, you know, who would have thought that the cell phone would be able to use, be used as a detonator, but uh, there you have it. And, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to be one of those things that we've got to look at the greater good or we throw the baby out with the bathwater. One of the two. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I was going to mention that about the cell phones and that still, you know, that seems to be a problem, but anyway, you know, we could go on for hours on that. I want to bring our guest on because, um, he's got some interesting, uh, technology and solutions for some problem. So, you know, without a further ado, let's, um, bring on our uh, guest, Joel Eiffel. He's the founder and CEO of Dash Systems, Inc. Joel, are you there? Patrick, I am here. So good to be here again today. Okay. Well, you know, um, it's kind of hard to uh, nail you down because you're a busy guy, which is good because busy kind of, uh, let's say, implies that you're, you know, making uh, some progress and hopefully, you know, paying the rent, keeping the lights on and all the rest of that. But uh, for the benefit of the audience, could you, could you, could you please give us a, a, a bio, a little bit of a background, what, what you feel is relevant for uh, the audience to know about yourself, and then we'll move into uh, what Dash Systems Inc. does. Sure thing, sure thing. And again, great to be here. Um, a little bit about myself. I am an engineer uh, by degree in training. I have a wonderful degree in welding engineering. And I can joke, it's both incredibly relevant and completely irrelevant to everything I do today. Um, but it let me be one of those engineers that moved around uh, where I wanted to go. So I started in aerospace, uh, working at Aerojet uh, on rockets and missiles, went over to a national lab, worked on nuclear reactor technology for the U.S. Navy, uh, came back into aerospace, did, worked on fountains, did a little bit of everything. And then around uh, 2017 or so, I started working nights and weekends and eventually uh, rolled out and formed Dash. And right now I kind of play at the intersection of automation, uh, safety, new technologies, innovation management, you know, uh, and then being a, an entrepreneur, just doing whatever you do have to do to, to push the ball forward. Yes. Well, you know, it sounds like you had to, uh, a well-rounded um, background. And it was kind of funny, before this, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, there was also in the news the hypersonic missile. Um, and, you know, some of the technologies and whatever were that. Interesting. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, um, years ago, about almost a decade ago, <laughs> you know, people in the, the government and uh, military and whatever else were just like, none of this, that will never happen. That's a joke. Chinese will never be able to accomplish that, drones, whatever else. And uh, I think it was a lot of laurel writing because I remember even at the time, you know, that the Chinese had like a space program. Maybe it was limited, but they were launching rockets into space. Do you have any perspective on that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll say, you know, working in some of those big institutions uh, in the same time frame, I think there's always that, you know, 
psychological thing of, you know, dismissing the outsiders, the people who are behind you at the time saying, yeah, you know, they don't have the bulk and expertise of NASA, JPL, Aerojet, Rocketdyne, you know, Boeing, Lockheed, et cetera. Uh, but if they're hungry, people can catch up uh, very quickly, which I think is what we're seeing. And, you know, again, you were just talking about uh, uh, the drone space earlier in China taking over. I mean, if we look back, you know, AeroVironment, Raytheon, Boeing, they, they were, uh, you know, a full decade or so uh, in that market before the Chinese were uh, and kind of seeded the whole commercial market uh, again, back to foreign players. So, you know, I think this is one of those apocryphal lessons that happens again and again uh, when people, yeah, kind of sit on their hands. Well, and, you know, discount, you know, just the, just the way that they, they discounted. Uh, it's kind of funny, you know, and I'm digressing here with another story, but, you know, a lot of people in government, I talk to them about China, and I'm like, well, have you been to China? You know, uh, well, no, but, you know, I... I read news stories or whatever. Gene, you've been to China. Are they horsing around I, over there? Or what? I I have been to China, and uh, let me tell you what. It was an eye-opening experience, the 10 days that I spent over there with a manufacturer that uh, we had contracted to build the Spectra Flying Wing. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty much a shock. Absolutely. Uh, you know, everything that I had heard from people was totally discounted. But, that, you know, that's another another story. But I do uh, think that, you know, we've been, we've been we, you know, we, we do have a, uh, let's say, good, you know, industrial and technology base. Some of the companies that you, um, you know, mentioned, uh, Joel, you know, it's kind of funny years ago before SpaceX really took off, no pun intended. I remember talking to a guy at Aerojet. I'm out here in Sacramento which most of that's moved away. But anyway, why would you want a rocket that you could reuse? You know? And I'm like, because uh, you know, it costs less money, uh, you know, things like that. But that, that, let's say, DOD or government contractor mentality that, you know, they're paying you to make a rocket you use once. You know? So why wouldn't you just, you know, take, it, take the money and run? And kind of antiquated ways of thinking. But anyway... And that kind of leads up to where we are into what Dash Systems does. Now, we've, you know, heard a lot in the news about drone delivery. And um, to me, most of that is dubious. These, these single um, sortie deliveries, there's no way that's making money. And, and, and from what I know of being, you know, in the industry for, uh, you know, 20 years, whatever, no way that those drone deliveries are being made in visual line of sight the whole time. It's just, I, I don't believe it. You're going to go behind a tree, below a roof line, whatever else. So either, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. But now you've thought, Joel, of a different way or let's say a different mousetrap. Let's hear about this mousetrap. Yeah. So what we're working on is precision commercial airdrop systems. So, you know, basically – uh, put giving existing airframes, be it fixed wings, helicopters, or UAVs, the abilities to safely and legally launch and land cargo in a very small price, uh, space, you know, and do it economically and do it repeatedly. And when you put it, say, put it in a small space, you know, what are we talking about? Just, you know, this is like a theater of the mind thing, of course, because we don't have any video. Yeah, know. yeah. But, you know, um, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, what are we talking about here? Uh, a helipad size space. Um, okay. If you think about that, you know, think of the, the H on the circle, the, the H on the rooftop or in the parking lot, uh, that size of space. And, 
you know, I, we haven't really found a good convincing reason. You can go smaller uh, from a technical basis, but we haven't found a good commercial reason uh, to sweeten up from there. And uh, what, what size, uh, you know, weight-wise cargo, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, we've, uh, I said, take a, a little broad-spectrum approach. We've done everything from small, you know, kind of five-pound individual package systems, uh, but we see a lot of the bread and butter in larger units. So right now, kind of 50 pounds, uh, scaling up into the hundreds of pounds range. And really, this is a, a cargo place. This is about moving, you know, useful loads of entire aircraft uh, to the end destination, kind of versus, you know, the, that five-pound deliver-to-your-doorstep application. Right, right. I'm definitely uh, all about the payload, you know. It's kind of funny, people, you know, I, and that was one thing that I really liked about unmanned systems. It's really about, you know, uh, taking out the, the weight, you know, that you don't need to be able to deliver or weight that you do need. And uh, so before we go on much further, and I've been doing this, uh, changing it up a little bit, uh, could you please uh, give us the website, your company website, so people could go check it out while we're talking? Yeah, sure thing www.dash.aero, D-A-S-H dot arrow. Keep it nice and simple. Okay, good. Yeah, so people, you know, could go over there. I know you have a couple of videos and whatever else. So you can go over there and kind of check this out as we're talking. So, you know, there's a little bit of reference, uh, uh, cross-reference of, of what we're talking about. So, um, and, and one of the big questions, everybody, you know, uh, oh, you know, uh, we, we could deliver – Blood. Can you deliver blood? Yeah, uh, I say here, you know, uh, without uh, spoiling all the secrets, we're actively working on that. Blood is one of these really interesting ones that has a very low shock load, or else the platelets separate. Doesn't mean it's not possible. It just means it takes a little bit of extra care and handling on the packaging side. Right, right, yeah, and there is that is a, I mean, probably you know you learn all these nuances, uh, or let's say issues with with different cargos being in this business but yes that's a, a shock thing is uh blood can't take that so you know you're working on that so what what, what kind of uh, cargo are you mainly delivering is it soup to nuts are you but but i know you were you were uh out in the uh on the in the north uh or what is it you know alaska or whatever what, what were you guys delivering up there yeah, yeah. So uh, just recently, we were uh, just a few months ago here, we were out in Alaska going out and just doing demonstration deliveries. And that was really, you know, just demonstrating the end-to-end -end process. We will pick it up, we will fly, we will deliver it to the point of use, uh, and then repeat that process and again and again, you know, different locations, different weather conditions. Uh, there, you know, kind of look at the spectrum of what the customers are looking for. Uh, you know, I'd say it's a lot of all of the above, a lot of spare parts. You know, you're talking about government services, oil and gas, you know, remote businesses, uh, a lot of food deliveries, kind of more basic stables if you're talking about rural remote communities. Um, you know, prescription medication deliveries is a good example. Uh, it's life critical if the delivery is a week late, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, diabetes medicine or et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, we kind of always have this philosophy, what we're building is a box. Uh, what the customers put in it is a little bit different, uh, but it all kind of carries the same uh, profile. They just want, you know, faster delivery, uh, more routine deliveries, and just better reliability. And that's really what we're looking to provide. Right. And and the the other deal, I mean, so you have a parachute, a parachute system. Tell us about the system. How this, how yeah. This works. 
Yeah, so we uh, we have our systems. Uh, we call them pods, these little aerial delivery vehicles. We legally can't call them drones, and we don't want to. Uh, right. How it works is how it works is uh, is uh, you know I say in a lot of similar ways, can't mince words. It kind of works like smart bomb technology. Uh, we actively uh, model its release characteristics. Uh, kind of do that whole problem. If you want to have it land here, where do you have to launch it? Uh, we launch it, and then uh, they have these fins on the back, little grid fins that pop out. Uh, and they provide control, again, much like a smart bomb. Biggest difference being when we get to a very, very low altitude, we pull a parachute, which actually gives the nice soft touchdown. Uh, and by pulling the parachute at the last possible second, we maintain the accuracy in the whole flight trajectory. So it, it really what you end up with is a smart bomb that instead of going boom at the end, uh, goes pop and then sets down uh, nice and soft. Right. Now, you know, in, in your business model, too, and for – a lot of people may not know the pain points, let's say, aviation cargo. Um, off the top of my head, I can kind of think, you know, takeoffs and landings are where a lot of accidents happen, use a lot of fuel, um, you know, wear and tear on uh, aircraft. Is, is that part of, you know, was that part of the situation as far as a value proposition with, with your system? Uh, Patrick, you should uh, sell this for us. Yeah, you're, you're nailing it. So uh, right there, 55% of all accidents uh, happen in the, the landing phase of flight. Uh, in Alaska, the crash rate's about 2.3 times higher than in the lower 48. They don't have paved runways. They don't have weather. They don't have ILS systems. Uh, fuel, you know, on these short-haul flights, 30% of your fuel can be on the takeoff and climb, you know, taxi takeoff and climb up to altitude. Uh, removing landing cycles removes, you know, a maintenance cycle or engine cycle. Uh, and then the other less one, obvious ones people don't think about, uh, 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 airport congesting, landing slot arbitrage. You know, there's only so many landing slots that can give in airports. Uh, AOG, you know, aircraft on ground events, something breaks. Now your Class A assets sitting there. Uh, generally, airplanes don't break in the sky. Uh, just, you know, and, and, and. And then we kind of go on the customer side, too. You know, air cargoes are fastest medium, but we're landing at an airport 100 miles away from where it needs to be used. We're closing that gap and saying, hey, we'll land it right at your facility, you know, right at the local sorting center. You know, why do we need to land something at LAX and then shuttle it back to downtown uh, L.A. as an example? So, you know, you kind of put those all together, you know, there's just a lot of value here, a lot of pain points, and a lot of it's just zero to one going to places that don't have deliveries and being able to spin up a delivery, you know, in a matter of hours or days and then going delivering there. Right. So you're cutting out, you know, there's a lot of the uh... – pain points with the last mile delivery because it's all delivery right there. you got that infrastructure thing. And you, know, you hit on an interesting point in the uh, cycle, let's say, uh, takeoff, landing, whatever else. And it's kind of, uh, and I mean, I know I'm uh, bleeding on over to the, uh, let's say, flying car thing where, you know, people, oh, you know, it takes a lot of energy to take off and land. And, you know, uh, that's where accidents happen. You see a lot of these uh, vertiport designs with flagpoles, light poles, and, you know, uh, <laughs> other obstructions for people to get blade strikes on. It's like, yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe yeah. maybe maybe that's just uh, the way I look at things. Again, you know, I got to get that job as the private investigator. But uh, your well, model, it, it seems to like okay, here we got all these. All these, all these known, uh, let's say, issues and pain points with, with aviation, 
And we're really striking a lot of those, and it is allowing us to deliver. And I don't want to, you know, get the secret sauce of how much, let's say, cheaper you can deliver cargo per mile. But is this system something that, um, you know, I, I'm, I would assume that the, the savings are significant? Yes, absolutely. Wise? Yes, absolutely uh, significant. You know, I'll, I'll give up the, the secret sauce. It can be up to 2x cheaper, uh, but that's not a kind of a universal statement. And you're really seeing, you know, kind of two big knobs. One is, you know, being more cost effective, having cost of the feature. You know, in theory, yeah, you can get a, you know, next day early AM package uh, into northern Montana if you want to pay a couple hundred dollars a package. Um, and then the other one is just, uh, again, better service which is, hey, all these places that don't have good delivery infrastructure, that kind of get flown over, ignored, those are the markets that we say, yeah, we can serve them right today, you know, using existing Cessna 208, the infrastructure, the airport's already there, it's just 300 miles away, great, we can close that last 300 miles, you know, in two hours. That's kind of where we're seeing just a lot of the growth. Interesting. Gene, we're pretty quiet over there. Well, you know, as the owner of a 172 and you guys talking about all the places where I can have an accident, makes me want to jump right in there and take off flying today. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, know, I was going to say uh, our very first airdrops we did out of a 172, we did them out of the baggage door. We built a cool little device that would launch a a package out of that 19 by 20 inch baggage door. Uh, Can't find a market for it or else we would uh, keep on building that. (laughs) Uh, to a product, but anyways, if you need to deliver five pounds at a time, Gene, uh, you know, come talk to us. Okay. Well, um, I don't know that I'll be using my, uh, my 1972, 172 Lima on it, but, uh, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, uh, I, you know, there's a lot of, uh, reasons that uh, people have mishaps, but, you know, we trust that you know what you're doing, uh, Gene, and uh, that you're safe. But there's, you know, sometimes there's things just out of your, out of your control, but uh, when you're doing something, uh, let's say commercial, and uh, I mean, are you guys, do you have a, Joel, do you have a, like a figure, like, you know, how many pounds or tons you guys have delivered using the this, this, this system? Yeah, um, about 5,000 pounds to date. Um, and when I say we've we've been focusing early on you know building out the and refining the tech versus just getting the the numbers pumped up, but we've been out there uh, we've delivered in six or seven states here, and you know kind of really the message I want us to have is you know this works, this is safe, this is legal, we're doing it today. Right, and you're doing it legally and safely. And all yeah. Any interest, you know. Uh, Fred over there at uh, FedEx, this guy's always looking to cut costs. You, are you getting any, and again, you know, you don't have to secret sauce, but are you getting any, um, let's say, inquiries from, you know, uh, the, let's say, legacy cargo people or maybe even some of the newer people, uh, you know, your Amazons and, and whatnot? Is there any interest? Are you talking to any of those people? Can you talk about it? Yeah, um, I say absolutely. Uh, can't talk about it too much. I will say, you know, stay tuned to us. Uh, look in the papers over the coming months. Uh, definitely some, some big announcements on that pathway. Also add uh, Alan Gershenhorn, the former CCO of UPS, is on our advisory board. Um, and, you know, 
uh, it's interesting working with those big enterprise players because uh, they are interested in saving costs. They also generally uh, are a little conservative on new technology, uh, but they get what we're doing. They get the applications. Uh, and again, I think the most intriguing part is on new market development. You know, it's the half of the country that doesn't have one and two day delivery. Uh, that's what's intrinsically interesting. Yeah, well, there's that, and then you know, also the the, the you know hard infrastructure and some of the stuff that you alluded to. I mean, we talked about the benefits of not having to take off and land, and that you know uh, the benefits of that. But also, it's like, hey, you know, uh, we're up here in uh, you know Beaver Hat, uh, Alaska, and there is no infrastructure, and uh, you know, you're like, hey, no problem. Um, you know, you're you're an emerging new market, and we'd love to uh, send you toothbrushes and burritos or whatever, you know. So that uh, I can yeah. see where um, the enterprising, uh, both legacy and new, uh, would say, "Hey, this is this is something we should really look into," and that's great. And yeah. uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to be able to say, you know, local boy makes good. I know I knew this Joel guy then. Um, you know, and then you can ignore my phone calls like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, you're too kind, but I, I'd love to double click on that because, you know, again, what we were doing up in Alaska was exactly that. You know, we flew 7,000 miles in seven days. Every day we delivered to a new location, and we didn't get to pick the landing zones, you know, pick the weather. It's, it's Alaska. It's famously um, very variable on the weather. Uh, I think almost all the places didn't have local weather reporting. Uh, and just being able to show up within a few hours, say, yep, here's the landing zone. We can do this safely. We'll land inside the fence line of a federal facility. Uh, you know, uh, they'll be able to pick up the cargo and, and shake our hand. Uh, I think that was really informative. A lot of people almost don't want to believe that you can do these infrastructure-free deliveries uh, and spin them up, you know, essentially same day, same hour. And, you know, another thing is that this is, you know, again, guys from the field talking, you know, the weather thing is kind of uh, funny, you know. And I've operated at uh, locations, and I'm sure Gene has also, where, like, you know, you have to try and, and uh, get a weather report that may be 100 miles away or 70 miles yeah. away. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're like, hmm. You know, so you really have to rely on Mark One Eyeball or, you know, is, is your system going to be able to handle its adverse weather? Because it's going to be a little bit of a crapshoot. Gene, any experience with that? No, I mean, the last time I had a crapshoot, the weather was flying and, uh, you know, landfall on a hurricane here on the Texas coast. But, no, nah, it was no big deal. Well, that's another <laughs> one. Is, uh, and, you know, uh, so, you know, even in this business and you're, you're dealing with, uh, you got to fly. You know, you're, you, 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 there's a lot of situations where you got to fly. And, uh, you know, you get into something where you got 50-knot winds or whatever, man, and things start to get a little sporty. So, I mean, you know, um, what, what, what are, Joel, what, what are the uh, weather limitations on your system, man? Are you, are you pushing this yeah. stuff out in 70-knot uh, plus winds, you know, category? Yeah, on? yeah. 70-knot uh, is, is probably getting a little sporty here for uh, – most people wanting to fly commercially uh, uh, anyways. Um, but uh, I say our envelope, we're looking around 40 knots and below, and 40 knots is still, I mean, that's a very, very windy day. Uh, yeah. uh, straight wind doesn't affect us as much as, as gusting and being able to predict gusting. Uh, this is getting into the weeds here, but uh, 
uh, I'd say it's it's hard pressed to find you know an average forty knot day, but it's also nice to know uh, you know you have that flexibility. Well, exactly, and uh, you know, I mean, I was being a little facetious to get uh, you know uh, things. <laughs> Uh, even even at 40 knots, things are uh, you know it's 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 getting uh, concerning and, and uh, there's safety issues or whatever. But you know in some of these uh, situations, uh, you know like Dean, you know you're in a hurricane and you're doing things, or you know you're maybe doing some other test or something, you can't shut down. Or in your case, you know if you're delivering that that is one you know even talking to some of the let's say you know pioneers with uh, drone delivery and medical and. and people not thinking about the weather at all and thinking, you know, oh, we're going to go to the jungles of, uh, you know, Columbia and we're going to deliver, you know, hey, you know, uh, is, is your um, delivery vehicle uh, you know, weatherproof? Can it take rain? Well, no, we didn't think about that. We suffered some crashes. Or you're in a place like Alaska and you're delivering pharmaceuticals, man. You got to make it, you know, if you don't make it. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, um you know, uh, people's health and lives could be at stake. And so very important to know what, what the, the parameters are uh, for to actually make it, you know. So, uh, exactly, exactly. And there's um, things getting in the logistics side. Most delivery lanes are, have better than about 96, 98% reliability rating. So if you mm-hmm. introduce a technology that can only hit 80% or, yeah, you can't do it on the foggy days, uh, all of a sudden, it's destabilizing to the supply chain. So, so you're kind of nailing it there. Uh, you know, once you pick up a, a cold chain delivery, you know you're alighting a clock on the matter of hours of getting it back into the cold chain. So that's the ones we're saying, yeah, hey, if we're going to take it, we're going to have 100% certainty. We're going to deliver it, and we're going to deliver it on time. Yeah, you just have to, especially with uh, you know, uh, let's say pharmaceuticals or, you know, certain medical, we'll just leave it at medical for that. But, you know, you can't, you, you can't, oh, well, you know, uh, we didn't make it. You know, it's just not going to work. Yeah. And I, and I think we've seen some examples of that, you know, just even in the uh, drones. And I'm not being Debbie Downer or whatever, but I think that, you know, people came up with these arbitrary numbers of like, I gotta, we gotta hit, um, you know, 50 cents a mile or whatever. Well, how'd you come up with that? Well, that's just what we need to, to make it all work and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, you know, did you test that in the desert? No. Did you test that in the rainforest? No. Did you test? No. Well, you know, then really you're just kind of pulling stuff out of the air and that's not going to work for, uh, you know, with, with, with people that say that are, that are in the medical field. That's, not, that's just not going to work. Those are all, you know, Pie in the sky assumptions, but you already have your uh, the other beauty. You already have like this known quantity because we know, and you know, I'm, you know, it's in the manual and what these aircraft could take weather-wise and everything else. They've been tested, they're certified, so that that's a known quantity. You're not you're not making stuff up. Yeah, exactly. We can kind of borrow from you know existing airframes or capabilities, you know, existing. Oh, did I lose you there? Uh, existing, yep. uh, you know, uh, yep, airport you infrastructure, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that, yeah, mm-hmm. it really is a leg up. And also anywhere in the world we go, we find a, a local 135 that, you know, has a 208, has a 206, uh, has an R44, kind of already has, a, you know, aircraft, everything in the marketplace that we can 
we can partner with and, and start using. So it just it brings out a lot of those, uh, you know, I say frictions, especially around uh, weather, as you're mentioning, you know, going back to Alaska, you know, no 4G, 5G uh, cell service in these locations. You're getting far up in the Arctic Circle. Even some satellites don't have coverage up there. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people don't think of these when you're talking about landing you know, at a rural airport in a small village in Alaska, and uh, they only turn on the generator uh, when they need to for the airport. You know, you're, you're talking about landing in no power, no data, uh, with no weather information. That's the type of environments we're, we're talking about, uh, which is a lot different than, yeah, we're going to do this in an urban setting where, you know, we have 100% cell phone coverage uh, and we can sample the weather, you know, every minute here in L.A. Yeah, did that magical area I, I just I still can't even get a decent cell phone call anywhere, man. It's very frustrating. <laughs> but you know, when the technology's working, it's great. But anyway, hey, very informative, Joel, and uh, I'm glad that we made time to get you on. Um, you know, like I said, you're not really a drone thing, and that's good. Um, but it is definitely, you know, and uh, let's say an unmanned technology, you know, uh, whatever else. And, uh, Interesting, and uh, we'll be watching this, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about you in the future. Gene, anything in closing? No, I like it. I think this is going to be one of the passages that we're going to be seeing develop real quick, and uh, it's going to be something to keep our eye on for sure. So we will definitely do that. And, uh, you know, Joseph, thanks for being on, and thanks for telling us about uh, telling us the good news. Yeah, as always, it's great to be here. You know, like I say, stay tuned. And uh, for everything we're saying, you know, we consider ourselves friends of the drone industry. We've drawn drops from drones as well. They have the same landing challenges. So uh, uh, please, everyone, reach out and uh, stay tuned uh, for more to come. All right. Thank you, sir. And, Gene, have a good week, and uh, we'll see everyone uh, soon. Y'all be safe. Have a good one.